Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, good morning. I invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning, and we're going to the book of Acts, chapter 2. On the way in, you should have picked up a communion emblem. If you didn't, Christina is, before she's seated, she can help you. So anybody, if you need to pick it up, she can't give it to you, but you can make your way back. She'll uh, make sure you get it. If you didn't get an emblem on the way in, if you want to do that, you can just head on out. She'll make sure you get looked after. If you happen to slip in without an emblem, look like all of you got it, so it all looks good. Uh, so we'll be at the end of our service partaking together of these emblems, and then, again, just to de- deposit these in the garbage can at the back of the sanctuary on the way out so we don't leave them in the chairs and stuff. That just helps with this whole COVID thing. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Let's look to the scriptures this morning. Follow along with me if you have your devices. This is the early church. This is the, this is, when I say church, don't think of a building. Don't think of a denomination. Think of a group of followers of Jesus. The group of followers of Jesus. Anybody who Jesus was their Lord, they were following him. That's them. They, the ones I just identified, verse 42, Acts 2, 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, sold their property, possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This text is really, I believe, the blueprint for the church ever since. We do that here at Cornerstone. We frequently meet as all leaders across the church, so Sunday school teachers, helpers, workers, and uh, children, youth, young adults, adults, women's, men's, uh, recovery groups, whatever it might be, hospitality, we get together typically in January, have been for the last three years, and we have come to this scripture, it is our blueprint. It, you know, you don't want to measure yourself from a wrong measurement. You got to go back to the blueprint if you're going to get the measurements right. And this is the blueprint. And we, there's five, we call it the five G's that we measure ourselves up against in regard to that. And that actually is hours worth of just looking at it and comparing and seeing how are we doing 2,000 years removed? Are we still doing this or have we, have we, have we ventured off? Are we doing our own thing? Because the tendency is to drift. Anybody here, um, sailors? You maybe used to sail. You had a boat. You sailed. Okay. And I'm not. Actually, wished I was, but I'm not. They tell you that it's one of the very subtle things on, on sailing is when you set your coordinates from here to there, you have to allow for the drift. So if I'm going to that back door from here, I go straight. But if that were farther distance, like let's say a mile or two or three or five, and I'm on water... 
and I set my coordinates, and I start there, but the drift, right? So you have to anticipate the drift. You, yeah, so if I'm going there and the pole is this way, I'm actually going this direction, and I count for the drift. In our lives, we have to count for drifts. And the early church needs to be the blueprint, so I need to get off of that. So um, I want to take, it's really verse 42 and verse 47, the only ones I'm going to really talk about today. There's so much to talk about here. But the, the title of the theme, again, I invite you, if you are interested, to pick up a book, the Connect book. It's available at the Info Center, available for you to go more in-depth and to use it either as a family or as a study or a, a guide with you and another person or you, maybe people at work, you with family members, whatever that might be. Behavioral science. Scientists have discovered that they're that we usually see things we are prepared to see. Behavioral science telling us we see things we're, we're looking for. This is called centered, it's, it's centered in the network of nerve cells called the reticular activating system. Would you all say that together? Reticular activating system. The reticular activating, Laura and I were actually just talking about this yesterday. I said, oh, that's the reticular activating system, because I just read about it. The reticular activating system works like this. Once something has been brought to your attention, you're now prepared to see it. And you'll see it everywhere you go. Not as hallucinations or delusions. You'll actually see it because of reticular activity activating system because you're looking for it. And it's actually something you can actually, behavioral science actually are able to gauge this. They can measure this. So in, in illustration, you've had this happen. You want to buy a new car. <laughs> you make up your mind you want a certain brand, a certain body style, a certain color. Then what happens? You see that car everywhere. You see that car everywhere. You see the car on the roads. You see that same car in TV ads, newspapers, magazines. Now, was it not around prior? It was. What's happened is your reticular activating system's been activated. You are now looking for something. It happens in all of us. Well, this happens in, we can measure it in so many different areas of our life. We tend to see what we're looking for. We tend to see what we want to see. We tend to see what has been brought to our attention. And so if you want to see good results and opportunities, listen, if you want to see the blessings and goodness of God, you'll see them. But the converse is true too. If you want to see the ugly and the bad and the things that aren't working, you'll see that too. We call them people of half-empty glasses. It's not that... Their world is worse, necessarily. It's because they're looking for it. Their reticular activating system is actually looking for things to criticize. And you'll never have a shortage of it. So there's a, a thing. What is it I'm looking for? What's going to activate my reticular activating system? What am I? What's the, and I'm going to call it the attitude of the believer will determine how well you live your faith before God, before yourself, before your family, and before others. It's the attitude that we approach this. And again, it's, it's a kind of a science. You can, you can measure this. And you see in this verse 42 to 47, you see there's, a, there's an attitude to be able to see the glory of God in life. 
And they'd be praising God. They were worshiping together. There was, you don't see sadness in these, these five, six verses. You see joy in these five, six verses. They're praising. They're glad in heart. And it's attractive. Because people that look at people like that, they kind of like, I like hanging out with you. Because you make me feel good. I like hanging out with you. Because after I've been with you for five minutes or hours, I leave feeling good. Now, there's others that you don't feel that way. You spend a bit of time, you feel totally drained because, particular activating system, you're finding other things. Well, there's four major components to verse 42 and then 47. I just want to quickly list them, and then we're going to talk just briefly about these four components. First of all, in 42, you go back and you say they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread into prayer, and then 47, and uh, they sold their property... Uh, Verse 45, let me go to 47 here. Let's go back. 47, um, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. They were a learning church. They were listening to apostles' doctrine, teaching. Learning church. They were a caring church. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. They were committed to each other. They were a worshiping church. They got together regular breaking of bread and prayer. And 47, they were an outreach church. The Lord added to their number daily those who were, and they were, they were outreach. They were beyond themselves. Now, the first three of the four I've mentioned are focused on themselves, focused on believers. And thankful, there's a fourth. Because if we're not careful, we just start to focus on ourselves. We can't just be focused on ourselves. The fourth one kept their feet to the ground, in all honesty, there's a world that needs Jesus. There's a world that needs Christ. And so they needed to reach this world. God's called us for this. And so throughout the Bible, it likens us to a body. Now, if you were with a family member next to you or a loved one, hopefully it's one and the same, uh, turn to the person next to you. Don't go across aisles. Turn to the person next to you and give them a little gentle poke. Go ahead, do it. You have permission. Some of you are like, I'm not going to do that. Okay. You just poked their body. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about one of the analogies that the Bible frequently uses is that we are a family. I want to make reference that in Acts 2, 42 to 47, the analogy is the body. We are a body. And Corinthians actually talks a lot more about what a body, the body of Christ looks like, the body of Jesus looks like, not in the literal fashion as much as we are part of a great body. I want to use that analogy because the body is a good picture. I grabbed this from a medical paper. The basal cells of the skin, and I asked uh, if we could just get a picture of that, put that up in front of you. The basal cells of the skin are in the lower part of the epidermis, which is the outer layer of the skin. Cells, our cells, naturally divide into two one uh, and one of the two daughter cells that are divided becomes the, the basal cell to replace the parent cell that's, that's dying. And the daughter cell becomes the skin cell. Some of these cells can even make other, cell, other kinds of cells depending on what your body needs. Some cells routinely replace themselves such as those of the inner lining of your small intestine. They replace themselves virtually every week. They replace themselves. 
at the rate at which your basal cells in your skin replace themselves depends on the rate at which your outer layer of your skin sheds. We are skin shedders. You know that, scratch or whatever. We're shedding skin. If you doubt that, take a look at your bed. You'll see on your seat, you are shedding. We shed. While the ways and rates at which cells replace themselves vary from one organ or tissue to another, the one constant is our bodies are never the same. Our bodies are always changing. There's the constant. Our bodies are always changing. So if someone who hasn't seen you for a week says, you look different, you can say, I am. I'm a different person. Things have dropped off and new things have been born. I'm a different person. Here's the point. That's what we were called to do here in Acts 2. We're called to replace ourselves. To duplicate ourselves. To be fruitful. And that's why, that's the picture of the body. The body is replacing itself all the time. If your body didn't, it would be dead shortly. It has to replace itself. And what a beautiful picture to the body of Christ of replacing yourself. So there's a great analogy to think through that in the basal cells in the body. So the first thing I want to talk about and how we do that is the church was a learning church. And it says they were learning the apostles' teachings or the apostles' doctrine. And I used to think that that was the Bible. But then I realized that they didn't have the Bible back then. When this was written, they didn't have a copy of the Scriptures. What was happening, it, says, it didn't say that they were um, learning the Scriptures, which they were. But that's not what it said. They were learning the apostles' doctrine. Here's what was happening. Back in that day, they did not have scriptures as we have it today. The printing press has made it available. You have Bibles. We have multiple Bibles probably. If we don't have actually hard copies, you can get it online. You can get it electronically. We have access to Bibles. They're all over. And I am so thankful to God. I live in the dispensation in which the Word of God is available. I am so thankful. It's not always been. Because 2,000 years ago, it wasn't. As a matter of fact, if you wanted to hear Scripture, which was Old Testament... You either had to go to the temple and it would be read at specific times and you would take something and you would write down as much as you could take down or at synagogues, the rabbi would do some teachings at the synagogues and, and you would write down and they would take something of the scroll and they would read a portion of the scroll. The average man and woman did not have access to the doctrine. Now, if you were wealthy, you might. We see in Acts chapter 2, the eunuch was on the chariot on the road, and Philip came alongside him, and he was reading from the scroll of Isaiah. Now, how did he get the scroll? He's wealthy. Because copies would be made of copies, would be made of copies, and if you had the money, you could get a copy or part of a copy to something. That could happen. But 99% of the people didn't have it. And so what was this? They, they were a learning church. So where did they get their learning from? They got it from the disciples. The disciples, and it says they were learning church. They, the disciples were simply passing on what they had seen in the life of Jesus and what they heard him say. Now, it is so cool that we live in the 21st century because you pick up your Bibles and it's in red print in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's in red print. That would be the, what Jesus said. 
And so they, they were taking handwritten down. When Jesus was speaking, people were writing it down. And so the early church, what they were doing is they were saying, here's what Jesus said. We got it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The synoptic gospels, meaning four different people who were at most of the same events, and from their perspective, they're writing down what Jesus said, and they are writing down what Jesus did. I want to encourage you that the, if I'm going to say there are passages of Scripture that are most important, I do believe there is, it is, we call the gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm going to call that they are the most important. Why? Why do I say that? Where do I get off saying that? Because that's what Jesus said and that's what Jesus did. The most important. Now, I don't believe the others are second necessarily to it. I just believe in the order of importance. Wayne Lucas, make sure you keep yourself centered in the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Keep yourself centered. And as well, keep yourself centered in all the rest because the rest helps unpack what Jesus said and what Jesus did. And Old Testament is good too. The Old Testament helps us appreciate what Jesus has done. If we begin to grasp the significance and the depth and the weight of the Old Testament, then when we look at what Jesus did in the New Testament, it carries significance. Otherwise, we don't fully grasp the significance. I have a personal discipline. I share this with you because Paul the Apostle, others would say, follow me as I follow Christ. So I have no problem saying that. You don't have to do it my way. But this is the way I roll it out. I regularly, daily read something from the Gospels. And I read an entire Gospel through before I go to the next one. Right now, I'm about halfway through, two-thirds of the way through Matthew. But before I was in Matthew, I was in the book of John. Before that, I was either in Mark or I was in Luke. And then I will keep... So when I'm finished Matthew... I will go to one of the other three synoptics. I will go and begin to rotate. And what I do, I don't do the Bible in a year. I don't do the Bible in a two-year span. I found that. I, I tried it. I started it. It didn't work for me. I'm a fairly disciplined person, so I don't need somebody else's discipline to help me. I can pretty much do that. So I have a regular rollout of, of I do that on a daily basis. That I go through. What I do is in the Bible, I will read beginning of the chapter, usually it's on the left page, I will go until I flip the page and wherever it stops, the next chapter. Unless I'm in the middle of a story. <laughs> you don't want to stop in the middle of a story. So I'll keep going until that story ends. So if I'm in the middle of a story, I keep going until it ends. And that's the way I roll up. I've been doing that for, for a long, long time. The other thing is, I also I do three segments of Scripture reading. I do that because, again, the Gospels are absolute most important. They're what centers, that's, that's what talked of here. The rest of it, from Acts on to the end of Revelation, that becomes my second reading. And I do that on a daily basis. And so wherever that might be. And I start in and I do a book at a time. And then I don't necessarily go from Acts to the end of Revelation. I don't necessarily flow through because it doesn't have to. I will typically do the epistles together. Uh, you know, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I would do that together maybe. But I would do a book at a time. And I'll, I'll go back and forth, back and forth, and make sure I keep covering them. And then when they're all used up, I, I rotate around and begin to do. The same way, I start at the left page, begin at whatever chapter that starts, read over to the... When I flip the page, wherever it stops, unless I'm in the middle of something. And then the third aspect is the Old Testament. And so right now in the Old Testament, I'm in the Kings. And I'm going through the Old Testament. Just finished reading about Solomon. It just it, it busts me up when I read so many segments of the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is full of gore. 
The Old Testament, like I get angry all the time with the Old Testament. This past week, there were over 100,000 animals killed in one day when the temple was dedicated, from Solomon dedicated. And I looked at all the animals killed. And I, and I, I actually shut the Bible. I've done this, but I st- it, gravita- it gets me. I closed it. I got up and I had to walk it out. And I was like, God, that's so many animals killed. So many animals. Have no grass. 100,000 animals killed. Like they would have had teams of people killing the animals. The amount of bloodshed, the amount of gore, it's off the Richter scale. God, why would you allow that to happen? You're thinking that question, aren't you? How could you help kill those animals? Because he was pleased. How can you be pleased with that? Because it's a picture of the depth of sin's curse. Blood is shed in order that we might have life again. And when you look at it, don't get angry at God. Don't get angry at the people there. Get angry at Satan. Get angry at the curse of sin. Make sure your anger is placed in the right direction. And it will motivate you to be a follower of Jesus. So you need all three. And that's the early church. They were a learned church. They learned together. Let me take it one step further. I'm also reading Timothy. That's where I am in Timothy. And let me just say, I was just encouraged last night. We were chatting with uh, my mother. My mother's 96 years old. We're at the supper table. And the night before, she was up fairly late. We noticed we went to bed before she did. And she was, we were late. And she was late. And, you know, and we, mom, did you sleep okay? And she says, yeah. And she says, oh, were you into a novel? She said, no. She said, I was reading the Bible. Okay, I honestly didn't think that was going to be the answer. And, and I said, oh, okay. She says, I started at 1 Corinthians and I couldn't put it down until I was done the end of 2 Corinthians. What do you do with that? Right? I was just like, that's my mom. She's an encouragement. She had to finish 2 Corinthians. It's not like she had I couldn't put it down until I finished 2 Corinthians. And so she went to bed like after midnight. And that's the picture of a learning church. Listen, the first thing, first thing. Remember our, our focus? How do, how do we connect in community? We connect through learning. The apostle Paul was speaking to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. Verse 12, he says, Timothy, don't let anyone despise your youth. Then in verse 13, the apostle Paul said, Timothy, there's three things and you've got to hold these dear. Here they are. Timothy, you need to continue to daily have public reading of the Scripture. Secondly, teach on it. Thirdly, encourage the people. And that so spoke to me this week. The Holy Spirit was saying, Wayne, you don't have to be the convicting power. The Holy Spirit can do it, thank you. <laughs> I needed to hear that, actually. Let the Scriptures convict. Let the Word of God do its work. But it can't convict if they don't hear so you need regular. That's why every time we start, we start with the Scripture. That's time when you, when you meet with me, you know, we will have Scriptures together. We will read the Bible together. It's not a talk. It's a Scripture. We, read, we come around, because Paul says to me, make sure when you get together, the Scriptures are read. Because it's the power of salvation. Secondly, teach on them. Share some things about the Scriptures. And that's where you get into the doctrine of Paul and different things and the Old Testament examples. And then thirdly, make sure you encourage because this is a very discouraging world. So build them up. Encourage them. 
Tell them you can do it. Tell them you can make it. Encourage them. Amen? So, learning. Secondly, we come to the second component. They were a caring church. And the word, they devoted themselves to fellowship. The fellowship of each other. The word koinonia, you've heard that word mentioned. It's been preached on. Many of you have heard it so many times. I have too. I've spoken on it. It means a sharer, a companion, one who is a partaker, a participant in communion. Uh, It describes that they made priority connection with others. I want to say that again. Connection with others. Priority. Not if it happened to be just normal. They sought out people connection. One of the things with the pandemic is uh, those of us who are introverts are going to go, yay, now I don't have to talk to people. You were created to talk to people. There is something amiss when we are not interacting regularly with people. I actually don't get blessed very often listening to the news. <laughs> like almost never. But there was one little segment when they were talking of the shutdown of north of us, or south of us, the shutdown south of us and west. They said, you know, stay in the home five and under, all that, so you know that stuff. But here's where they said, and if you were alone... It's okay to be with another person. And that actually blessed me. Because yes. We need people. We were made not to be in isolation. We were made to need people. And we can do that. Lori, myself. But we have a bit of a community. But when you're by yourself, we need people. And we need to reach out. We need to care for. And we need more than that. We need to be in community. There's a story of a hunter. He was walking through the African jungle. He found a huge dead elephant. There's a picture of a dead elephant with a pygmy standing beside it. Amazed, the hunter asked the pygmy, did you kill that elephant? The pygmy said, yes. The hunter said, well, how could a little guy like you kill a huge beast like that? I killed it with my club, the pygmy answered. The hunter asked, well, how big is your club? The pygmy replied, oh, there's about 60 of us. That illustrates strength in numbers. Good illustration. Strength in numbers. Strength in numbers. Uh, Research project called the Almeida County Study was headed by Harvard social scientists who tracked 7,000 people. So when you got 7,000, it's usually a pretty comprehensive study. 7,000 people over a period of nine years. They found the most isolated people were three times. Everybody say three times. We need to realize the gravity of that. Three times more likely to die than those with strong relational connections. Study's going to be fairly accurate if they'd had that many people. Nine years. They are three times people, isolated people were three times more likely to die than those with strong relational connections. Here's here's another one. I've actually found this interesting. People who had bad health habits, such as people who smoke, poor eating habits, obesity, and alcohol use, right? Those are bad health habits. 
but they had bad health habits, smoking, poor eating habits, obesity and four, and alcohol use. That's what the four of them. But those people had strong social ties, lived significantly longer than those who had healthy eating habits, but were isolated. That surprised me. Maybe it didn't surprise you. Surprised me. It just reiterates we need people, we need connection. And we need to initiate it. And may it not be said of us here that you are simply waiting for somebody to do it for you. Why don't you take the initiative and begin to connect with others? And I'm going to encourage you, go deeper than Facebook. Go deeper than shallow connection points where they only see what you want them to see. Allow them in your life and allow yourself to take the time and the energy to be involved in their life. Ongoing, deeper, dropping roots, being connected. That's what the early church did. We need connection. Thirdly, they were a worshiping church. They got together regular times for breaking of bread and prayer. It was central to who they were. Now remember, they were 16 different language groups that got together and yet they broke bread, they prayed together. They were one. They, they knew how to connect together as one. And if they can do it with 16 language groups in chapter 2 of Acts, then we can do it today with our language groups. We can get together and be one in Christ today by the working of His Spirit and pray for one another. I probably doesn't need to be said. I mean, this is the crowd that maybe gets it, but I'm going to say it. We need to pray for one another. Not just, oh, when I think of it, to pray. We're talking about actually pray for one another and pray with one another. If you're part of my discipleship crew, and I've got a number of discipleship crews, you won't leave my office before we pray together. Every time we get together, you're part of staff meeting, we won't leave before we pray together. There's a need for us to pray because I've recognized we need to not only say, I'm praying for you, but why don't you take a few moments and pray with that person? Instead of, instead of just saying, I'm praying for you, pray with them. If Maybe you're not talking to them in person, so you send an email. Why don't you just put an email? Let your prayer be down in print. So take one, two, three, four, five sentences. Say, I just want to pray with you, Lord, now, and write it down. Write it down. It's not sacrilegious to do it. As a matter of fact, it'll bless them. Because now two eyes, two pair of eyes have put, put uh, looked upon that. Now there's agreement to whatever that particular prayer is. It's too much to get a hold of somebody and say, listen, I'm believing this for you. I'm praying for you. I'm praying with you. Is it too much to pick up that phone? Is it too much to make that contact, the text, whatever it is, your contact point? Pray, not just for them, pray with them. Let there be a prayer and community. Get together, do a Zoom, do a FaceTime, do something so that we can create opportunities to actually do it together. It becomes very important. Praying together, meeting the needs of one another. I want to take it to the last one. They added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Uh, Ephesians 4, 3 to 6. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father in all, over all, through all, in all. In other words, we're one. We need to do that together. We need to stand together and believe together and to pray together. Uh, I, just a couple things. We, um, you know, we are living in a time of change, but it's not new. Over the eons of time, 
Changes like this have happened multiple times. I was listening to Tom Rainer. He's uh, one of my favorite authors. Uh, he's written over 33 books. He's got a pulse on North American churches, pastors, and a statistician. He's a pastor. He's a head of Bible college, all the stuff. He's just, but he cares for pastors. Particularly, he seems to relate to pastors who have congregations of 300 or under. And I was on a podcast, and I was listening to him and, and Kerry Newcroft just talking back and forth, and he was making comment. He was, because it was like, he was saying that 80% of the pastors in North America right now, and this is two months ago, 80% of the pastors, 80% of the pastors are living in the highest level of depression they've ever had because they're looking at their congregations, and they have 30 to 60% of their congregation gone. Not just not coming out to church, but not even Zooming, live stream, gone. You want to cause somebody to have a nightmare, that's a, that's a nightmare there. And so 80% of the pastors, according to the stats, are recognizing 30 to 60% of their congregations, and that's true here too. We don't know exactly the numbers, but it's over 30%. 30 to 60%, we, we've lost track. We've lost connection. And, and so there's grieving, and it's like, and so there's a, a, ch- a chiding. We got to get out of this and get back to what was. But then he's, he's calling out, and he says, no. No, no. He says, there will always be the gathering. There will always be the church. But he says, you have to embrace what the gospel is. And the gospel is, you take the message of Jesus Christ to the world. And that's not dependent on a building. And it's not dependent on having to be in that building. It's not dependent on that. He says, so you figure out how to take the gospel. And he used an illustration. He says, they had to figure it out over history. If you study history, you see it over and over again. He used the Roman road. Now, you've maybe heard of the Roman road, the Appalachian Way. If you've ever been to road, you maybe stood on the Appalachian Way, been there, done it, stood on the Appalachian Way. This is the road the apostles walked on. When Acts chapter 2 was written, in a hundred years old, the road was a phenomenon back then. Now, we but back then, the Romans developed the road system. Prior to the road system, people walked along rivers and property lines. There were machine could go to battle. That's the reason they built them. So it was not a very noble reason. They built the roads in order to get masses amount of people to there so they could fight their battle. So they built roads. They developed ditches. They built bridges. They cut through property, and no one liked it. Zero people liked it. It was a huge disruption to civilization. People lost their property. Their drainage wall went wrong. Bridges, rivers were corrupted because of it. They hated it. But that Roman road then would become a road of commerce, and chapter 2, you get to five chapter five, chapter six, chapter seven, chapter eight. That Bible says when persecution hit in Jerusalem, the, they were spread and they went throughout the entire Asia Minor world. The gospel, listen, the gospel, and this is what Tom says. This is not, wow, I was thinking, well, this is really good stuff. The gospel could not have hit all parts of the world if it weren't for the Roman, Roman road. Because the Roman road was built, the gospel went everywhere. And the Roman road was built within the hundred years of that point in time. And yet it was resisted the whole way through. Here, listen, we are in a unique time. But God, isn't his spirit calling us? you got to figure this out. Because life will not go back to the way it was. But the mission and the message is the same. There are people at 1130 who will be tuning in to us 
who will never walk through these doors. Let it be so. We now have an off-site church. And so let's expand and have more off-site churches. Amen? Because the message is the same. The means is different. And so instead of having sleepless nights and jumping off the ledge, <laughs> you know, we embrace God. You're still in the middle of this. And the gospel will not be stopped because it goes in the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. That's what we've been called to do. That's the call of Christ on us this day. I want to close. We need to close. And I invite you, as we come around the emblems today, can we say, I want to be a connecting church. I want to be a connecting people. Grab a hold of the doctrine, what he said and what he has done. Let it be a part of us, who we are. May we embrace that we are caring. Let's, let's reach out. Doing life together, this whole series, 36 sessions. Longest series I've ever done in my life. This brand new series, the point of it, the point of it is so that we can reach other people. It's the whole point. It's the whole reason. We don't have to make it complicated. The message is simple enough. Pastor Brett and I were talking about it. We said, it's simple enough. When we preach, we should be able to, a seven-year-old should understand what you're saying. Seven-year-old should understand what you're saying because it's not complicated. That we have fallen short and Jesus is our answer. Caring church to one another. The third part, a worshiping church. Praying for and with one another. And that we are an outreach. We go and share with others. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca